Father, we thank you that you have enabled us here in this church to go out and do preparatory work for those who would come in and minister. And Father, if you would have us go out and minister while we are up there, just set it in motion. Do it before we ever get there. For It's your plans that we wish to get behind. We don't want to make our own. Father, if there are people in need that need a special word of encouragement, I pray that you would prepare all of us to deliver that. And Father, may we get encouragement from your word today. May you build us up in the most holy faith, bring us further along in our discipleship, bring to us understanding. And Father, we would ask that you would help us to not only understand your word, but to use it properly. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had a question last week. The question was, and by the way, I have to give the basis of the question. The Jews had added to the law, the Old Testament law, and they wanted to put up this hedge around the law so you would not go through the hedge and actually violate one of the commandments in Scripture. This hedge represents other things you should not do so it would keep you far away from breaking the commandments. God never intended it for, to be that way. And I believe when it started out, it was with the proper motives. But it turned into something that all these requirements that they were developing ended up becoming more important than the law itself. When Jesus came along, he said, you guys are mistaken. You have set up all these rules that cannot be violated, and you're making those more important than keeping the actual law. And so he would call them hypocrites. He would call them a a brood of vipers, John the Baptist, same thing. And, And they would be basically put under condemnation by God himself for doing this particular thing. So what they did is they started putting all of these oral traditions, things you can do and can't do, down into writing. And as they put them down, like pen and paper, so to speak, as they put them down, it was accumulated together and it was given to us as the Mishnah. And so you follow these Mishnahs, uh, the rules that are in the Mishnah. And there were other writings as well from rabbis. And so if you just followed these things, things would be fine. What they were doing was adding to God's word. Scripture tells us, not to add to God's word and to be wary of anything added to God's word. So I left you with the question or the task. Did you find verses that said, do not add to God's word? Did anybody find one? 22.18, I'll read it to you. Revelation 22.18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Pretty heavy duty. But some people would say, don't add anything to the book of Revelation. Well, that would be true if you didn't find it elsewhere in Scripture. Did anybody find another one in Scripture? I'll read verse 6. It says, Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. So we have the book of Proverbs, and we have the book of Revelation. Did anybody find another one? Yes? Deuteronomy 4.2. It says, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, 
but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Did I? No. Is that the right one? 4-2 you said? Okay. Anybody find another one? That's it. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. Now, there's one more that could apply. Did anybody find it? What does it say? I didn't find that one. Maybe I... Nice and loud. Read. That's right next to second opinions, right? Go ahead, read them. Nice and loud. Can you? Do you have them in front of you? Okay. I'm going to take your word for it. There is one more. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. So any other religious book that would come along and pretend to speak for God is to be ignored. It is not from God. Now, can you think of any books that would be like that? The books in the Mormon religion. What books are those? Did anybody know? Pearl of Great Price? Doctrines and Covenants? And the Book of Mormon. Those three have been added to the Scriptures. What does the Scripture say if you add to his word? Plagues. Plagues. It's not good. Not good. But people reinterpret the scripture and say, no, that's not exactly what it means because we had this prophet come along and tell us it was a little different. Really? It violates the scriptural principle and not to add. So, and not just the Mormons, but there's people out there who walk around, claim to be some spiritual guru or some prophet, and their words are just as good as God's themselves. And there's even a church in Santee that Mother God, she resides over there at that particular church. And there's people who believe it wholeheartedly. And there is no Mother God, Sister Moon, you know, all those types of things. They just do not exist. It is the word of God that is the end all of truth and absolute truth. If you want to know what truth is, you go to the Bible. Now, there is one caveat with that. And I'm going to give you a little phrase. All truth is God's truth, but not all truth is in the Bible. Now, things like, is it true there is gravity? If you want to defy it, just jump off a building. No, don't jump off a building. That would be really bad. But this idea you think you can defy God's truth, we cannot defy God's truth without consequences. So God tells us, do not add to his truth. If you find some truth that is outside the Bible, you already know it's God's truth. It's right there. But if somebody starts writing something down and says, this is a word of the Lord, uh, does it comport or does it come alongside and just examine the regular scripture and agrees with it or is it something that is in addition to it for instance any doctrine that would come up there is a doctrine i think i mentioned this a few weeks ago there is a doctrine that the jehovah witnesses have that they say we will not go to heaven it is only the 144,000 that go to heaven if you read the scriptures in revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14 both of those say that they are men and they have not, quote-unquote, defiled themselves with women. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're single. 
It means they haven't had bad relationships outside of marriage. Some people like to say they're single because women defile men. Well, if you believe that, I'm sorry, you have a wrong view of Scripture. Women are given to men as helpmates, and men are given to women to help them. It's a symbiotic relationship. We help each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so any doctrine in addition to that is bad. So we are not coming back to earth to be on the earth forever. The earth is not going to last forever. God said, we're going to heaven. Then we're coming back to this earth. Then after this earth, everything gets destroyed. Then after that, there's going to be a new earth, but there's not going to be any sun, but it's going to be like daylight everywhere. And it's kind of cool. You go, wow, wow. And when you explain that to somebody that doesn't believe that, and you actually give them the power of interpretation, you say, this is how you interpret the scripture. This is what you do. They can be blessed or they can fall into this cloud of fear like, I haven't been doing this right. There may be a problem. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we understand God's will. We understand it properly. We don't take the scripture and twist it. That we've had the tools for interpretation under our belts. And we understand going forward here that we do not add anything to God's word. And by the way, there is this idea that prophets exist and I, I think that there can be prophets exist or that exist. And they will not, if they speak, violate Scripture. They will not give you some prophecy or some word from the Lord that completely goes against Scripture. It will always be in accordance with his word. Apostles, on the other hand, I think the apostles were done uh, in the first century. But today, the prophets, if they do exist, that's what they're going to say to you and to I. So, giving the context here again, <clears throat> it was the Jews that started to oppose Jesus. They went through several phases where they didn't agree with what he was saying. Remember the doubt, John the Baptist, the disdain, the disbelief, the dissatisfaction, and they're getting into the denunciation here in verse 9. So we're going to look at that. Going on from this place, verse 9 of chapter 12, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they showed up at the synagogue because they wanted to trap him. They wanted to trip him up. They weren't interested in what he had to say. Their minds were already convinced it's not true. It's kind of like the skeptic who gets on the internet and is just looking for a Christian to roast over the fire. And they, they want to go back and forth. And, you know, rarely does somebody, especially past their teen years, change their mind. It's a rarity. We can try to do that. But chances are it's not going to happen. Just to give you an example of that, people in here, politically speaking, can be more to the left or more to the right. And usually when it comes to the opinions that we would hold, people don't want to budge on those. They just say, no, that's what I believe. That's true. In the men's and also in the youth, I'm, I'm going through this little series about how to listen for God's voice. And when, when something comes up, and I have a series of about 40 questions, and I'm going through these questions, and as I go through these questions, I'm asking everyone not to say anything, but just kind of listen. Listen to see if they get a verse come to mind, or maybe a couple of words from a verse that is in Scripture that comes to mind. And in both groups, there were some people that, as soon as I asked the question, they started thinking, 
And they had a verse come to mind. And they said the verse, and it was the word of God. It's like, that's it. That's how you listen for the voice of God. But most of the time in our politics or in our relationships, we just say, no, this is the right thing to do. And I, I believe it. And God said it somewhere. Remember, it's in that same book, that book of second opinions next to Leviticus or first John, whatever. You know, it, it's in the scripture and we have our own opinions. And according to God's word, we are not entitled to our own opinions. Unless you just want to have a conversation, that's fine. But as far as directing your life or giving instruction to, instruction to others, we don't want to rely on our own opinions because Scripture says there's a way that seems right unto a man or a woman, but in the end thereof is destruction. It seemed like a good thing to do. I was talking to the youth. And, and, like I said I, uh, before, I try to keep up with what the millennials and Generation Z is doing. That's the next one which is out there. And sometimes you see these videos of... Uh, these kids acting wisely and good and standing up to bullies and you just go, yeah, you know, and everybody comments, that's the right thing to do, you know, and that's good. There would even be scriptures that guide us on stand up for those who are perishing or those who are being persecuted. We're supposed to do stuff like that. But then there are things that are just, can I say it, stupid? <clears throat> for instance, I saw this one little video, this young Generation Z guy, he thought it would be really smart to take a pop bottle rocket, stick it in his teeth, and light it. Now, what do you think happened? All those sparks came out of the pop bottle rocket right into his face. I mean, just not very smart. Then I saw another woman with another pop bottle rocket, only the pop bottle rocket was about this big. And it had a long stick on it. And she was holding it like this. And a guy came up and lit it. What do you think happened? She didn't let go. She's holding on to it. And all the sparks are flying back in her face and getting all over her. And it, it's like, did you think that this would turn out well? And scripture says, there's a way that seems right unto a young man or a woman, but in the end thereof is destruction. And same thing with living our lives. There's... It seems right, it seems good, but what does God say about that? Now, one of the things that I brought up in the men's was this. Now, I'll ask you a question. I'll, I'll do the same thing for you that I did for the men. The question I brought out was, if a believer comes up and wants you to feed them day after day, and they refuse to work, should you feed them? Now, right away you would have an opinion. You'd either say yes or no. But what does Scripture say? Chapter? Something. Right next to... It's chapter 3. And there is a verse that is in there. And in that chapter, it says, If a man will not work, he will not eat. Now, and I told this to the men. For the men, the men would say something like, Amen, get a job, buddy. You know, that's what the men would say. What would the women say? But he's hungry. We should give him something to eat. 
you know, we'll work, we'll work with him in the future to make sure that he turns us around. But, you know, he, he just needs a little bit of help. Now, both of these are a result of how God created us. For instance, the man, the man thinks in a linear fashion. There's right and wrong flow chart. Did he do this? Okay, we take this direction. Did he do that? We take that direction. And that's what we do when we march towards the beat of a drummer, and that drummer is Jesus Christ, and he said it's wrong. And the woman, she takes all of those avenues at once. (laughs) And she goes, well, yeah, Scripture does say that, but, you know, we need to help him. We need to be compassionate. And a woman is a nurturer, and she's compassionate, and the guy is absolutely not. And that's why we have difficulty amongst ourselves. And that's because of the way we are created. But if we simply follow the scripture, I told the men, first time, it's freebie. <laughs> You're hungry, let's go get you a full turkey. You know, let, let's do something for you. And if you want another one, I'm going to ask you. Have you looked for a job? Oh, oh, you have many reasons why you're not getting the job. Well, I'm sorry, I can't help you today. That's how it's supposed to work according to Scripture. But you see, both the men and the women, the men can err too far on one side, like get a job, you like scum, you know. That's what men think. But if it's the woman, oh, the poor man, he needs some help. And we have to work these things out. But if we follow the Scripture, we're going to be walking in agreement. That's the point of knowing the Scripture and not adding to it. And by the way, the men and the women balance each other out that's the way god intended for it to be when we see jesus i was reading about god and his attributes and and we'll get to the point where a bruised reed he will not break or smoldering flax he will not snuff out and when we get there you'll see that he he has compassion on those who just can't get it right and he is a loving god And even though we had made so many mistakes, he still blesses us. And that's, I wouldn't say the feminine side of God, but you understand how he created man and woman and both of them represent the attributes of God. And that's how God acts towards us. So let's go on with this. Verse 11 says, He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Their minds are closed. He looks at them and reasons with them. If one of you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not lift it out? And it is lawful for them to do that. But let me ask you, is it work to do that? Yeah, it's work to pull a sheep out of a pit that has fallen in. And he goes, you'll do that, but isn't a human being more valuable than an animal? Now, in our day and age, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, where we take the animals and they are more important than the human beings. I just read an article. You know, we see Shamu out there. Like up in Washington State, they have several pods of Shamu up there, and they've discovered something. That in the odd years, Shamus die out more frequently than in the even years, whatever those years are. And they're trying to figure out why this is the case. And they discovered that they have been helping the pink salmon 
grow and multiply. You just take over everything and there's thousands and it's wonderful for the fishing industry and everything else. But the killer whales, they don't like pink salmon. They like Chinook salmon. And because they like Chinook salmon and the pink salmon are taking over everything, the Chinook salmon are less. So every year when the, every other year when the pink salmon come back, they kind of go hungry and they die. So our efforts to make sure there's plenty of salmon has affected the killer whales. And it's the wisdom of man. Like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to correct this and it's all going to be good and we think there's a right way to do it and there's not a right way to do it. It's just bless whatever God has done, pray for God to work out everything, and he will, he'll take care of it. But we get so far away, we want to micromanage everything that is out there. And God says, don't do it. And we second guess what God wants to do. And we think we're in control. And humanity is all that there is. There is no God. And you see the error that we fall into? I I don't long for the day that we start messing with the atmosphere because of climate change. Let's put a bunch of stuff up there. What are we going to do to ourselves? So you see, again, the theme is, getting away from what God says, making our own reasoning, just like these guys. Oh, it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath. Why? Because we say so. And we get away from God and we end up in all kinds of trouble. And so Jesus is trying to correct them, trying to show them the right way to go. (coughs) Excuse me. And they will not receive it. And so Jesus, I'm sure he looks at them probably with disgust. And he looks at the man with the shriveled hand. And the shriveled hand would have been a hand that was probably half the size of a normal hand that didn't have the circulation going through it. It was probably all curled up. He probably couldn't use it at all. It was more like a stub than it was really a hand. And so Jesus turns to him after just having probably disgust for the leaders of the Jews who were there looking for a reason to accuse him or trip him up. And he goes, stretch out your hand. And he completely restores the hand. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw that, I think I'd become a believer if I wasn't a believer right then. I mean, that's some heavy-duty magic if you're in the world, and that's some heavy-duty moving of God if you're in the church or you're a believer or you're a Jew. In any case, it is a miracle. You know, and the dead people that Jesus raised, and when he was crucified, people were coming out of the graves. Hey, Harry, I thought you were a little moldy by now, but look at you, you're getting out of the grave, and you're walking through town. If I would have seen something like that, you, you died four years ago. What are you doing? I've given your room to somebody else. You know, the problems that would come up, but you would have it right in front of you, the evidence that is there. And we have the evidence, which is the word of God. And sometimes we just say, ah, I don't believe that. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to trust in my own wisdom, in my own knowledge. And we're not supposed to do that. So some people think that in this particular healing, that the Pharisees may have even planted this guy in the synagogue just so that they could accuse him on healing during the Sabbath. And, of course, they used it against him. To the Pharisees, healing was illegal on the Sabbath unless it was to save a life. And Jesus, again, tried to reason with them, but they would not be reasoned with. And as a result of this, it says in verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now that, they just took a huge leap. We don't like what you're doing. 
We have a dissatisfaction. We have a disdain for what you're saying. You're not doing it our way according to our rules. And who gave you this authority? Well, we got to get rid of this guy. And that's the way of the world. We got to do something to him to where he will not be able to come back. And we're just going to wipe him out because our power is more important than the power of God. And all these miracles are being wrought and they just refused to believe. And that's the way of the world. Remember, broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road for salvation. And few there be that find it because most of the world want to trust in their own wisdom, in their own knowledge, what they think is right in our opinions do not amount to a hill of beans. If we follow the wisdom of God, it is life for us and it is joy and it will eventually lead to our glory which God gives to us. We have no glory of ourselves, in and of ourselves, but God gives us that glory and we will be used for his purposes. So they plotted to kill Jesus and Jesus claimed to be, during this period of time, he claimed to be the Messiah, he claimed to be greater than the temple and he claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath and that just, it would be like taking a cheese grater and putting it on the backs of the Jews. They oh, it would just be so irritating and so burdensome to them. They wouldn't want to hear anything about this. And so from this particular point, we will see in the verses to come that Jesus withdrew. And, and many people would come to him and want to be healed, but he withdrew from the crowds. The crowds would come to him, but he withdrew certainly from the leaders of the Jews. Now, at this particular point, <coughs> up until now, Jesus told his disciples, do not go to the towns of the Samaritans or to the Gentiles, but only go to the house of Israel, for that's who Jesus was called to go to. But from this point, you're going to see, and especially when Paul arrives on the scene after the crucifixion of Jesus and probably after a decade of being prepped by God himself, he takes the word of God to the Gentiles. And what happened to the Jews as a result of this rejection of Jesus is they are blinded or blind to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, it is for the most part universal, but there are some that are Jews by birth. They practice the Judaism, which is out there, and they are devout Jews, maybe uh, even a Hasidic Jew, there are some that hear the gospel and they get saved, and they're called Messianic Jews. And we see that happening a little bit more. And by the way, the church has been terrible in our relationship with the Jews over the years. You know, during the Crusades, convert or die. And they would kill the Jews, slice them up, throw them over the wall in Jerusalem during the Crusades. It was just a terrible thing. Right now, the Jew does not have any greater friend than the evangelical Christian in this world because we recognize that they are God's chosen people and God is going to stick with his program, his promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and he is going to restore them and there's going to be a time during the millennium that all the Jews will be saved. God is going to bless them because he loved Abraham, because Abraham was so faithful. Those people who would say, no, the church is now Israel, I think they are mistaken from Scripture. I believe they don't interpret it correctly. But there are some people that say, no, the, the church is now Abraham. And 
God is done with the Jews. They are under a curse. They are blinded. There is a scripture that says this blindness is there. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So what God has done, God stopped at this particular point, the timetable for the Jews. He said, okay, your timetable is stopping. It's on hold right now. We're not going any farther forward. We are all going to go, and what I mean by all, the believers are all going to go to the Gentiles. Now, unless you were raised a Jew, you were all Gentiles like me. Even though I have Jewish blood in my background, I am a Gentile as well. And God is calling in all the Gentiles to be saved, that he wants to be saved. He's counting up the number of those who will be his bride, the church. When Jesus died, there is this segment called the bride of Christ, the church. And until that full number comes in, Israel's timeline is not going to pick back up again. But it will pick back up again. Now, how do we know if we're close, if we're not? Well, when we get into Matthew chapter 24, you're going to see how close we actually might be. But this idea of blindness, I just want to establish this a little more. In John chapter 12, you might even turn there. In John chapter 12, in verse 37, I'm going to read from 37 to 41. And this is where the uh, scriptures that will come after, this is where they are quoted from. And it talks about God blinding the Jews. In verse 37 of John chapter 12, it says, Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. You see the resistance? They just wouldn't give themselves over. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So the rejection of Jesus landed them in a state of blindness where they could not see that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And by the way, this is the history of the Jews. If you read the Old Testament, as I went, was going through it audibly, over and over, and we did this in Exodus when we went through it, they would do right for a while and then they would fall into sin and idolatry and sexual immorality and God would judge them and he would scatter them, then he'd bring them back and they would be restored and then they'd fall. I mean, just over, <coughs> excuse me, over and over, they would do this. And so at this particular point, and there's going to be a time where it ends, he has judged them because they rejected the Messiah. Also in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this ministry, brothers, so that you may be or may not be conceited, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, so that all Israel will be saved. And this is the point. God wants his church, and we are the bride of Christ, and when we are all gathered in, when that last person accepts Christ, then the tribulation is going to start. And after that particular point, the Antichrist is going to come in. And after the tribulation is done, and then the millennial reign of Christ, and then after that is done, the great white throne judgment, and everybody gets resurrected at that point. It doesn't say in Scripture that all the Jews from of old will get resurrected during the church age, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. But it does say everyone will be resurrected 
in that uh, thousand-year reign when it comes to an end, right at the end. And so we're to walk away with the understanding that God has taken the Jews, blinded them, hardened their hearts for a little while until the Jews would be saved. And he did this for sake of jealousy. Uh, scripture talks about that where he, he wanted maybe to motivate the Jews because God is blessing those who are Christians, those who follow Christ. But also there's a warning for us in this. Did God take the Jews and if you're thinking of a grapevine, cut off the grapevine at the ground? Well, he did. And who did he put in its place? Us. He grafted us in. Israel is the root. We are the ones producing the fruit. But guess what he's going to do in the future? He's going to graft them back in to that vine. Jesus says he is the vine. We are the branches. God is going to graft them back in. But there is a warning for us in Scripture in the book of Romans. If he took out the Jews, would he not take out the Gentiles who believe as well if they fall away, if they act inappropriately, inappropriately, that type of thing? Well, Scripture talks about that. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. If some of the branches had been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, which is actually Jesus Christ and the Jews, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that we could be grafted in. Granted, but they were, were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Now, the Jews at this particular point, they were going through... Uh, a little bit of a dilemma. Well, you know, if everybody is a Gentile and they're getting the blessing, what benefit was there to being a Jew? And Paul answers that. He said there's much benefit in every way. For the Jews, theirs are the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ who is God over all forever, praised, amen. And he makes this little dissertation, why it was good to be a Jew. And the promises are going to come back to the Jew. So going on with this, their, their plan has been curtailed, and it's going to pick back up in the future. But before that happens, there have to be certain things to take place. And as I already said, there needs to be the time of the Gentiles fulfilled. Then there's going to be the tribulation where God takes out the church before the tribulation, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Romans chapter 14, and I think it's Isaiah chapter 26. It deals with God taking the church out of the earth. That's going to be the first, right at the beginning of the first three and a half years. And it's going to be relatively mild as far as the difficulty living on the earth. The second three and a half years are going to be hell on earth, literally. Have you noticed that, uh, you know, like NASA, <coughs> excuse me, they have put up satellites because they want to track these meteors, near-Earth meteors. And there are certain meteors out there that cross our orbit. And eventually, according to Scripture, there's going to be more than one that's going to hit the Earth. And they're going to be a pretty good size. One of them is going to kill one of the oceans. Could be the Pacific, probably the Atlantic. It's going to kill everything in the Atlantic Ocean. 
Now, what do you think the world would be like if the entire Atlantic Ocean were dead? Fish coming to the surface, whales, everything that lives in the ocean would come to the top or sink to the bottom. And the stench would be overwhelming. That beachfront property is not going to be very worthy of occupation during that time. It's going to be a terrible place to be. After that, or during that time, the 144,000 in Revelation 4 and 14 that I talked about, they're going to be the witnesses for God. And there may be some who get saved during that time, but a strong delusion is coming at that uh, particular period of time in the tribulation, and most people will still not believe. And if we tell people that, look, all you have to do is follow Christ in the tribulation, well, they probably won't be able to because the delusion is going to be so strong. But there will be some that get saved, but they will also be killed by being beheaded. And the Antichrist is going to be able to be given power over them to take their lives, not only those who believe in Christ, but also the Jews. There may only be one-third left that survives. We don't know the exact number. But there is this idea that we're looking forward to that day. Now, this is all in the context of the Jews have been cut off, and they're going to be restored. If we look in Scripture, well, when exactly is that restoration going to take place? And God told us there's going to be signs. That's Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and Luke chapter 21. He tells us of the signs that are coming along. Well, what are some of these signs? You know, it's interesting. Three days ago, there was an article. There was an article written by Adam Eliyahu Berkowitz, January 17, 2019. He posted it at 1.09 p.m. And the title of it was, Are the Ten Plagues Reappearing Today? Now, some of the things that have been in the news, if you've been paying attention, it's like, Well, that is interesting. By the way, what's happening tonight? A blood moon, full eclipse, and they call it a wolf moon. A wolf moon is where the wolves, they howl at the moon. And the moon is going to be at its apogee position, which means it is the closest to the earth, and it may look up to 30% closer. And I think it's happening around midnight or something, so if you go outside, you go, You can howl if you want to. You know, the neighbors will appreciate it. But people, they write about this stuff. And by the way, the the blood moons that came up, remember when that was coming up? And the four blood moons, watch out, this is not pretending good for the nation of Israel, nor the world in general. The Antichrist could come up. There could be floods and famines. And it, it was just to sell a book. And I said, don't worry about it. Pay no attention to that. Well, this one too, the moon... You know, they're talking about this moon. Oh, this could really portend badly. Well, where they get that is from the Kabbalah, and that is ancient Israelite mysticism. That's where they get that kind of thing. But there are some other things taking place. Like, for instance, there is a river that just turned red in the country of Malawi. And you can look it up. The river... It's red. I mean, it is like blood red. I saw the picture of this. The villagers came out. It's in Africa. And they looked at it. And, oh, 
what is this? They came out to wash their clothes in the morning, and it was completely red. Now, it's probably an algae bloom of some kind, but it looks blood red. And they're all avoiding it. They're all just standing around on the banks of it, just looking at it, going, wow, this is blood red. So this is what this guy's writing about. Well, what else has there been? Have you heard about the hailstones? In Saudi Arabia, hailstones the size of baseballs covered the sand out there. Then that big sandstorm that came, I don't know if you saw that in the news. It was so dark that people could hardly see where they were going. You know, that was taking place. Then down in Australia, there was, they call it fire and ice. There were these huge hailstones that followed, plus lightning, plus fire that came as a result of the lightning. And they're going, what is this? Is this like a biblical plague? And this just happened a few days ago. And then maybe you saw this too in Saudi Arabia, the locust. Did you see that in the news? The locusts came in and they brought in crews because there were so many locusts, they're sweeping it up. And so this guy, he says, is this like the 12 plagues? I think it's just a reminder. It's coming And this is just a little hint that it can still happen. These aren't the full-blown plagues from the scriptures. We're not going to be here to see that, but we can discern the times, the seasons in which we live. Remember, scripture talks about in the days of Noah, it'll be like that. And in the days of Noah, what was prevalent? Violence. And how much violence is there? There's a lot of violence going on throughout the entire world, all the wars that are going on. And so the Pharisees, getting back to the scripture here, they went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. After that, aware of this, Jesus withdrew, verse 15, from that place. Many followed him, and he healed their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. And by the way, he did that so that he could still have access to people because the more people that came, the less he was able to do because the crowds would be so pressing. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory in his name the nations will put their hope and so god always had this plan of reaching out to the entire world he put the jews on hold and by the way the jews were the only ones that had the promises of god everybody else was under this curse they really didn't know how to go there were a few select like melchizedek melchizedek was separate from the Jews, from Abraham. And of course, the Jews didn't come into a being as a people until afterwards, but God can speak to people wherever he wants to throughout the world. But the Jews had the promises. That's been put on hold. Now we have it. We have the promises of God. Some people think, well, that's arrogant. You think you're the only one? No, we think Jesus is the only way. That's the way it goes. And so we proclaim Jesus. We don't say, Christianity is the only one right. No, Jesus is the only one who is right. And so we carry this burden just like the Jews did, and we need to be faithful to carry this burden to the rest of the world and do the acts of kindness. That's why we're going up to Yuba City. There's so many people that have suffered up in paradise, which they want to prepare to go and minister to, and we're setting the groundwork for that. The gospel's going to go out. People are going to be helped up there. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. He gives us that task. If we just say, ah, I don't have time. 
I'm going to believe what I want to believe. I'm going to do what I want to do. Remember the curse that came along, how we could be taken out just like the Jews were taken out. Now, for some people, that would be like, well, don't condemn me, man. Now, for other people, it's like, okay, I need to get on the stick, so to speak. I, I need to make sure I am doing the will of the Lord. I am doing what he commands me to do, to reach out to those who are lost and dying, to help those who need help, whether physical or spiritual. We need to be reaching out to others. We should not become ingrown. If we become ingrown, we are slowly festering and we will die spiritually or shipwreck our faith. And so that's what God calls us to do. In closing here, God has that heart for people who are weak, for the bruised reed, he will not break it off, say, oh, this thing is worthless. And when we look at people that are struggling, when we are looking at people that have been burned by life, so to speak, the smoldering flax, we don't come in and snuff them out. We come in and minister to them. That's what God has called us to do, to have a heart of compassion. After all, he called us. And if he called each one of us, he expects us to tell other people that God loves them as well. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for the opportunities that you give us. We thank you for the word that directs us into these opportunities. We ask that you would help us to be faithful and not shy back when we are in doubt, but to move forward knowing you will guide our footsteps, especially if we are motivated by your love. We would ask that we would not, Lord, just come up with our own ideas of what is right and what is wrong and how we should reach out. But we would follow your word and that word would be in our hearts. And as we come up with different questions and dilemmas that we would meditate on your word and ask you for a word of wisdom, a scripture, some guidance. And we know that you will grant this to us because your spirit lives in us and it is according to your will. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said...